0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Chatter Up with your hosts. First, myself, Bobby Rubin, and of course, the too-legit-to-quit co-host of co-hosts,
1: Jared Weisel. Jared, what's going on? Things are good here, Bobby, but not as good as they are over there, because you, my friend, are the birthday boy. Happy birthday, Bobby, 28 years old. How does it feel? I feel older and wiser and like absolutely nothing has changed you look older not so much wiser but i'm glad you feel that way
0: i appreciate the vote of confidence man thanks so much but in honor of this splendid day that is the day of my birth we have a once again lovely schedule for everyone we'll dive into another what did i miss segment where we take a look at the week's previous top headlines We'll do some more fun and games. We've got a fun chatter chamber lined up for you guys this week that is a little bit different, but I'm pretty excited about it and a whole lot more. And, of course, no matter where you're listening to this podcast, whether that be on Stitcher or Pocket Cast or Spotify or our personal favorite Apple Podcasts, please give us a rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're listening to, give us five stars. If you don't like what you're listening to, give us five stars anyway. And after you've given it five stars, you'll come right back here because Jared, you ready for this? Man, I'm ready for this. I am pumped. Then let's chatter up. So we're back here, Jared, reviewing the top headlines in the sports world for this last week. There's been a lot this week, perhaps more than normal, that has really made not just sports headlines,
1: but national headlines. What do you got for us? You're right, Bobby. A lot happened this week, a lot to talk about. Let's start with what I think was the first of all of these, which was the Patrick Mahomes mega deal from the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, you'd heard kind of in the last few months that the Chiefs and Mahomes were negotiating this new contract. Everybody knew that it was going to be a huge deal, and it lived up to the hype, 10 years, over $450 million. Bobby, what were your first thoughts when you saw these giant numbers drop? One of the first wild statistics that I saw, and, and, and I think I might
0: have this right, was that he's making like $1.67 every second, which is just ridiculous. I don't know, is, that, is that the right number? It's slightly outpacing this
1: podcast. We, we're going
0: to get there, though. It's crazy to think about that, that like a professional athlete is making that much money. Now, putting aside how much professional athletes should or should not be making and how much their worth is economically to a city – Good for Mahomes. The guy is, and, and good for the Chiefs, honestly. This seems like a, in the sports world, this is the best possible deal for everyone. It frees up the Chiefs to give them the capacity to make a great team around Patrick Mahomes. It also gives Mahomes a guarantee. I think he's guaranteed somewhere north of, or somewhere just under 150, right? $150 million? Yeah, I think it was like $140 million injury guarantee. And, great for him that it's guaranteed money and then they got him for 10 years i mean you're talking about not just the face of the kansas city chiefs but arguably the new face of football not to say that that mantle is taken away from tom brady but if you ask almost anybody brand new season you can start with any one player at least you know eight or nine out of ten of those guys are going to take patrick mahomes no
1: yeah, no doubt. I even saw people saying that, like in in a historical context. Like, if you could have anyone in history right now, you know, starting from their rookie year for the next fifteen years, who would you want? And and you have like, you know, real NFL authorities are saying, like, I think I would take Patrick Mahomes. It's
0: incredible what he's accomplished in just such a short time in the league, and he's, you know, I can't remember who it was. Somebody made a really great point that he's one of those guys that's accomplished so much as have other quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's already probably the best quarterback in the NFL. And he's trending upwards. Like he hasn't plateaued. This guy has several more years, in my opinion, before he's as good as he could be, which is scary to think how good that could really be. Is he worth half a billion dollars? Honestly, if I'm the Chiefs, yeah, probably. I like... I support fully that contract strictly from a sports perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's the most important position in sports. That's what everyone says, right? Like if you – we've talked about it before. If you have a good quarterback, you're pretty much always going to be in the conversation in terms of relevancy. If you have a great quarterback, that's the hardest thing to get. That's the biggest piece of the puzzle that you need. So let me just take a step back here, Bobby. Mahomes just signed a 10-year contract. If I set the over-under at three and a half Super Bowls – in addition to the one they already have, which one are you taking? Over 10 years or over his career? Let's say over the
0: next 10 years. I take it. I take the over. I think that he has so much talent in and of itself that like, doesn't need to be expanded upon. We all know that. But also the talent on the team. I mean, who they just drafted, Hilaire Edwards. That's just ridiculous. I mean, the team right now, it's hard to bet against them this year let alone moving forward. I mean, especially with the space that the the Kansas City Chiefs have created with this contract that could potentially line him with every player that he needs. The defense has also been trending upwards. Two years ago, I think they were ranked, what, 20th
1: in the league? And last year they were top 10? I mean, how are you going to take are – you, are you taking the under on this? I want to, but I just don't it's, – it's just hard to see it right now. And, I, and it, these things rarely work out in the way – that the teams want them to. Obviously, when you have like, such a long-term deal like this, you, you, you know it's so hard to look 10 years down the road and see what's going to happen. But at this moment, you're talking about a guy who year one, first full season, won an MVP. Year two was pretty much just as good. His stats weren't as good because he got hurt in the middle of the year, but delivers a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, it, the sky is literally the limit for this guy. Completely. You know who sky has
0: fallen completely? Deshaun Jackson. Now, we're going to preface this by saying you and I are both observant Jewish men, and so we have what I consider to be at least somewhat of a unique perspective in this scenario. So for those that don't know, which I'm sure everybody does, but if you haven't seen or heard, Deshaun Jackson came out with a crazy Instagram post where he attributed the entire quote mistakenly to Adolf Hitler, which is something in its own right. And in the quote, it refers to the Jewish people as having a plan to extort America and for world domination, as long as many other very anti-Semitic comments. There's a lot to dive in here. Jared, you want to start?
1: Yeah, Bobby, you're right. There are so many different directions that we could go with this. Just quickly, off the top, and I mentioned this to you previously, the level of ignorance is just astounding I mean, you know, we said there There really aren't that many people in the history of the world. It's a short list of people that, like, you absolutely cannot quote in a positive light and think, like, you're making a positive contribution. And Hitler's on that list. And you don't have to be Jewish to know that. You don't need to have, like, lost people in the Holocaust. You just need to be, like, awa- somewhat aware of the history of the world and only the last 75 years. So to see someone a prominent person someone who and look Deshaun Jackson went to Cal Berkeley that's look I don't know what what he did while he was there but this is not someone who is completely who should be completely uneducated about this subject so to see that is is astounding to me but the thing that really resonated is you know like you said we're both um observant Jews we we grew up in that community and you hear the words never forget all the time it's like pounded into your head as a kid and there are times, honestly, like, I, speaking for myself, where you're like, never forget, like, how, how, could, so, how could this actually be forgotten? Like, are, is this, are we going overboard with this idea of, like, we have to pound it into these kids' heads because it's such a mammoth, it's such a huge part of our culture, of our upbringing. How could it possibly be that, like, people in the world would not be aware? And here we are, 75 years later, and you have a, a prominent individual. This isn't some, like, far like this isn't some conspiracy theorist out like in the dark parts of the internet. This is someone who's, who's known around the country posting this just awful anti-Semitic content. And so it's, you know, to me, it really just hammered home this, this idea of, of never forget. And it's our, you know, part of our responsibility is to make sure that the rest of the world doesn't forget what happened.
0: Yeah. And I think you hit it right where it's like, because he's such a prominent figure, this makes it that much worse. You know, in my other profession, I am also a teacher of English to high school students. And it has happened before in my career where students have been unaware of the events of the Holocaust or unaware of the events of Hitler. And I then take it upon myself to educate them in that moment. Deshaun Jackson, you're right, has a college education from a well-respected university. The guy's playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, who the organization is owned by a Jewish man. Jewish GM too. You have to be able... Th- th- there's no excuse here. And I think the thing that even made it even worse to me was like Stephen Jackson's backing of this, which I'm sure you saw as well, that he literally said, but he's speaking the truth, right? And it's like, what? What, what are you talking about? Not only is the quote ridiculous and both offensive and insane but the quote wasn't even attributed to the right person like totally made up it's ridiculous and steven jackson who's been very vocal for black lives matter and very vocal in the death of george floyd is now completely discredited from anything in the future and it's like what H- how is this happening it, it was it was infuriating, and it is appalling to think that this could be the case. And and here's the other thing: if it's if Deshaun Jackson thinks this way, regardless of his apology, then 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 there are others that that think this way as well. Like he he's not the only one for sure. I thought that this wouldn't be true in such a public matter, such as the NFL, but clearly. He can't be the only one, and there have to be others that are just either, I'll say at best misguided, and at worst anti-Semitic.
1: Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right about the Steven Jackson thing. I mean, Deshaun Jackson, the initial comments were terrible, just just awful. And you, could, I guess you could, you know, look. He since he made those comments, he seemed, he's taken all the right steps. Do can I say that he's? sincere in his apology no that will come over time but we've heard read reports that he spoke to a rabbi in the philadelphia area he met with a 94 year old holocaust survivor he's doing the things that that a person who, who made those initial comments and wants to be forgiven should do okay they were extremely ignorant but the Steven jackson part you know that came out hours after deshaun jackson, the jackson the initial quote and and ja- deshaun jackson you know everybody jumped on him and said like What are you talking about? And the quote was exposed to be fake. And then Steven Jackson comes ambling in and being like, you know, five hours later being like, yeah, that's the truth. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? And you're right. It's sad that, you know, someone who is trying to do trying to do good in the world through through the Black Lives Matter movement and, and, you know, galvanizing the country with the George Floyd death. Now everyone looks at him as like, we cannot take you seriously anymore because for someone to to reaffirm those initial comments and call them truth is just, I'm sorry, you cannot be taken seriously anymore. Yeah, it is. It is frightening. And similarly, as we would call out anybody, like these
0: people need to be called out. And more importantly, really quickly, props to Julian Edelman. Edelman didn't need to step up. He didn't need to do anything. If he didn't do anything, most people probably would have been like, okay, like nobody would have thought twice about it. But he steps up, comes out in a public manner, condemns this, and then attempts to educate, which is all you can really ask for, right? Whereas, like, if somebody makes a mistake, and in this case, is not only a mistake but a highly offensive one, that is like, okay, what do you want to do here? Do you want to bury this person forever and destroy them, or is your attempted at, uh, wanting to rehabilitate and to to change the mindset? And I'll speak for myself; I choose change the mindset. You condemn, and then you attempt to change so that in the future, perhaps somebody says something to Deshaun Jackson. And instead of agreeing, he can come out with his platform and speak out against it to attempt to change the future.
1: Yeah, you're right. Hopefully, so, hopefully something good comes out of this at the end of the day, there are always going to be those people that can't their whose minds cannot be changed. And we just have to accept that and live with that. But you're right, there are people out there who just don't who, who don't know any better. They're not, you know, they, they, they weren't brought up in this culture. It wasn't something that was pounded into their heads. And so you, the best thing to do is to try to educate people like that. And, and that's what Edelman's doing. And you're right, props to him. Absolutely. All right, taking a step back here, Bobby, that was heavy. We're going to switch back to something like MLB coronavirus testing. They had this whole snafu this week of a delay in tests of getting the results back. Teams had to shut down their summer camp facilities. We're less than two weeks away. You think this is happening or not?
0: I think the season does happen. I think somebody I read recently that I thought was really interesting is a lot of these guys have to meet certain service times in order to qualify for certain things. So, for example, George Springer last year was, I think, I don't know, six or seven days short, and each day that they play this year is worth almost two days. A lot of these guys are probably going to wind up opting out after a very short amount of time. I do think the season gets underway. I will stand by what I said before, and then I don't think there's a World Series. I don't think the season finishes, even with the shortened season, but I don't think it happens. Sad. Very sad. But at least we have some baseball. Jared, the Big Ten Conference has decided that fall football will only have conference games. They have completely eliminated the non-conference schedule, which effectively moves the season start to October. And the Ivy League has completely canceled all of their fall sports. Is there college football? Is that going to happen or are we just, is we just spinning our wheels here?
1: Man, good to see that they're finally acknowledging the reality that they have to take some action on this because for so long it seemed like college football and the NFL are both like, nope, doesn't matter what's happening. Like we're moving forward, season's happening and, and we're getting closer and closer to that time. And it seems less and less likely. One like interesting thing I thought about is I wonder if all conferences, the major conferences start doing this, what happens to Notre Dame? They're like the one major, Mm -hmm. major school. That's not part of a conference. And I mean, I guess, I don't know. Do they join a conference for the year and just play in conference games or I don't know what happens, but they're not like some small little school that will just end up canceling their season. They have a huge deal with NBC. I don't know. There's probably some contingency plan in place, but that'll be interesting to see. Bobby, the NFL put out a bunch of coronavirus protocols, safety protocols for the upcoming season. Again, who knows if it's going to happen? But one interesting note in those protocols was they banned the post-game jersey swap. Is that, is that just like eyewash? Is that something stupid? Do you think it actually makes sense? Sure.
0: Like, if you're trying to limit exposure, okay. And, and, I'll, and I'll try and play devil's advocate here because I think this is so stupid. But devil's advocate, the goal is to limit exposure, and that's another thing that you could limit. But when you have guys that are going for four quarters at 15 minutes and they're fighting and sweating and pushing against each other and droplets are coming everywhere and you're telling me that they can't switch jerseys at the end? This is ridiculous and eye roll. And honestly, just for me, just makes the NFL look stupid. Dumber than it already does look.
1: Yeah, I'm on the same page as you. I mean, you're right. Real, Just from a logical standpoint, I guess this lowers the chances of someone getting the coronavirus. So if it goes from, you know, to 0.9%. I guess that's worthwhile, but it just, in the context of the whole thing, exactly how you just expressed, seems ridiculous. It's
0: absurd. You know what's not absurd? Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic is a midfielder for Chelsea, and he has recently made a big name for himself over there as he's been incredible recently. He had a goal off his weak foot, the left in the top left corner against Crystal Palace recently, and he's being talked about a lot the dude is 21. Is this guy finally the guy to take U.S. soccer to the next level? Wow, he's 21 and you're 28, Bobby. What are you doing with your life, man?
1: Nothing. I'm doing absolutely nothing, and he has outdone me already. <laughs> is he the guy that, make you, that makes USA soccer big? It could be. I mean, look, I don't, I, I've said before, I'm not a big soccer guy. I, I can name very few like soccer players. And he's a guy whose name I do know, and it's, it's significant that he's American and he's making a name for himself overseas, right? There's a lot of guys that have done it. You know, there's the Landon Donovans and the Clint Dempseys who've had, like, moderately successful overseas careers, really more, more known for, like, the World Cup and, and playing in the MLS. But Pulisic seems to be the first guy that might be considered, like, really legit overseas, and we haven't had that before. So maybe having that actually changes the trajectory of soccer here. I hope so. I hope it does. And I hope the USA can beat the World Cup because that is what I desperately want
0: just under in Orioles, World Series, and a Redskins Super Bowl. So we'll leave it there. That was both a little heavy and, and a lot of light. And we will be right back with some
1: more Chatter Up. Hi, everyone. Dan Snyder here. As you may have heard, thanks to my brilliant stewardship, we've decided to change our team name and logo. We want to involve you, the fans, in this exciting new chapter in our history. And so we're asking you to send us your suggestions for the new team name. So far, we've gotten some great suggestions like the Washington, fine, we'll change the names. The Washington, are you happy now? The Washington, definitely not racists. The Washington head coach job openings. The Washington washed ups. The Washington afterthoughts. This one's my personal favorite, the Washington We Have the Best Owner Ever. That one was sent in by, let's see, someone named Stan Schmeider. Well, he sounds like a genius. And finally, here's an original one that can upset anyone, the Washington Bullets. We want your input, so please send any and all suggestions to my email at gadelmademedoit at screwthis.com. All right, Bobby, we're bringing back the Chatter Chamber this week. But as you alluded to, we've got a twist to it. Because this week we have two Chatter Chamber entrants. In one corner, in the red corner, we have Michael Tabak. And in the blue corner, we have my beloved brother, Evan Weisel. These two are two friends who have known each other for years. And they've had an ongoing argument. I've been hearing both sides of it for years now, really for years of who is the better general manager, Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, or Oklahoma City Thunder general manager, Sam Presti. It seems like
0: there's a little bit of like negativity in your voice right there, where you like, said that you've been hearing this for years, and I'm really curious to see how this goes, especially with your blood brother here, that it could be like, hey, he's my brother, he's my family, I'm going with him, or like, oh, it's, it's my little brother, I'm about to push him aside, there's no
1: way that he can win this argument, I'm very, I'm very excited about this. Michael, we're going to lead with you. So why don't you go ahead and make the case for why Daryl Morey is the better GM than Sam Presti.
2: So, I just want to thank you guys first. Um, and Jared's on my team. Uh, so, Bobby, we'll see where you're at. But the case, that, the case is the following. Daryl Morey and Sam Presti have both, be- both began their positions in 2007. And if you look at it, forget about what they've done in the last 13 years. Daryl Morey has had the third best record in the NBA since he became GM, which is really something its very admirable. And the second best record since the James Harden trade, Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming were at the back end of their careers when he took over as GM. And they've been very, very relevant. Obviously they have not won a championship. They've been very revel- relevant. And the most important thing here is that that trade is the worst trade in NBA history, the trade for James Harden. And it's, With none other than Sam Presti, and it's just remarkable. Like it's it's one thing if you get somewhat of a return, but like the return on that offer is just laughable. And whatever he's done throughout the rest of his career means nothing. So yes, Evan's going to go back and say the recent trade, which was you know obviously a great trade for the Thunder. All the picks that they've gotten through Paul George and Russell Westbrook—that's great and that's all admirable. Um, So that's the first thing. And the second thing, just to point out very quickly, the Jeff Green trade. Um, fifth overall to trade Ray Allen, who's like an all star, like at the peak of his career, is just also a little bit just to tr- make a trade with Danny Ainge is just something I don't know why anyone would ever do just to start. And in addition to that, the, the Celtics basically signed Jeff Green once they knew what he was as an NBA player. So it's just very funny to talk about. So those two things in itself just throws out Sam Presti. And I think Daryl Morey's track record speak for itself. So they've been relevant every single year. They've always made the playoffs.
3: And that's my case. Evan, back to you. Okay. I knew exactly where you're going from the start. Mikey claims that one awful trade, and there's no doubt about it, the James Harden trade was an awful trade. An awful, awful trade. They got back nothing. They got except the truth is they did get back the pick that they used on Steven Adams. So I wouldn't say they got back nothing. They got back Jared. They got a rotational center. Sorry to interrupt. Rotational center. They mm-hmm. definitely A solid starting center in the NBA. Rotational center. He's a top 14. No, no, no. Solid solid starting. For sure. 100%. We're going to give him an opportunity to come back in a second. So they did get Steven Adams in the trade. But overall, an F, obviously. Awful, awful trade. But you can't let one trade define the entire legacy of an amazing GM. He has taken the Thunder, a small market team, and they've been relevant since 2014, they missed the playoffs once 2000, since 2014. They lost Kevin Durant, probably the best player in the NBA at the time, maybe second, They say, LeBron, third, whatever. And they were fine. They were absolutely fine. You're not even going to talk about how they drafted three MVPs, and he's going to come back and say, he shouldn't get credit for drafting Kevin Durant. Okay, fine, I'll give you credit. He, won't, he doesn't get credit for drafting Kevin Durant. Fine. Russell Westbrook, the fifth pick in the draft. I went back and I looked at mock drafts. The first mock draft I saw Draft Express had them taking Brooke Lopez. Bleacher Report had them taking also. I think Anthony Randolph. You cannot just not give him credit. James Harden also. A lot of people had them taking Ricky Rubio. You can't just take away credit from from his picks and and just and just not give him any credit. So Sam Presti is taking the Thunder, a small market team, and I didn't even talk about yet the fact that they have fifteen up to fifteen draft picks in the next seven years. We haven't even talked about the ridiculous trade that he just made with your boy, Daryl Morey, who for sure would take back that trade with Russell Westbrook. I don't think that had done them any good. They have another year of Russell Westbrook on that awful, awful contract. We haven't talked about that. We can talk about later how they got Paul George for free. I I just have a question for Michael. I just want to know what moves has Daryl Morey made besides for the James Harden trade? That was a good move. Like, what's a, a notable move that he made besides her James Harden?
2: A, just the fact that they're relevant every single year, year in and year out. The James Harden trade, you can't, I understand you want to ignore the James Harden trade. The James Harden trade is the best trade ever. And the fact of the matter is, you don't want to Clint Capella, a small addition. Obviously, he was just traded. They maximize his value for three years. Just, they rotate in and out relevance. Eric Gordon, huge contributor. The debate is, who is a better GM? They are both great GMs. My question for you is, what is Sam Presti? I understand personnel-wise he's a good GM. But what is his thing about, you know, he Scott Brooks was, like, two years too late. Billy Donovan's a, a year or two late. Like, what does it take for him to fire a coach? Can he do it? Does he have the guts to do it?
3: Why is Billy Donovan not a good coach? What's wrong with Billy Donovan? Paul, George, Russell, Westbrook, Carmelo, Anthony. When
2: he was, I mean, even if we don't even need to discuss Carmelo, Anthony. But Steven, your boy, Steven Adams, they didn't really do well in the playoffs, if you recall. The guys should have been canned on that season or the season before with Russell Westbrook. Like, it's, it's been way too long. Like, they, Scott Brooks, these guys aren't – they're not doing anything for the team. Like, Daryl Morey is willing to change year in and year out, retool, reinvent. He reinvents every year. The Chris Paul trade, you know, tell me what you want, but he's super efficient. And your, and your argument about Russell Westbrook, he's been amazing. He was awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, it's a good thing they have him another year on the contract. He's 30, he's 30 31 Evan, get, years old. Evan,
3: let's I don't get your what, response here, and then, uh, and then Jared and I will chime in. On the, on the, the coaches, oh, coaches, I mean, they matter a lot less than players. You're right. Maybe Billy Donovan should not be there. I, I disagree. Scott Brooks, I don't think he's a great coach. But personnel matters a lot more than coaching. I, I mean, I think coaching matters. I think Brad Stevens is a great coach. I think Greg Popovich is a great coach. I don't think, besides for the top-tier coaches, I don't, I don't know how much coaching really makes a difference. I really don't agree with you that Chris Paul's trade was a good trade. Chris, First of all, they have, I don't know if you're aware, they have the same exact record that they had through last season. So I'm not sure how much of a difference Russell Westbrook is making. And if you look at what Chris Paul has done to the Thunder, how much better they are this year than last year, plus a year less of that ridiculous contract. Sam Presti is thanking God every day that he made that trade.
0: So I want to chime in here because Jared, I think you've had many years to discuss this with, with these two guys. First of all, thank you both for giving us your excellent arguments. I think both of you offer great points. They were the points that I had anticipated. There's one piece of this that I think is, is interesting. So like, of course there's the James Harden trade and it's like, okay, what, what goes into making a great GM? I think there's great for the team. You know, does the team win solid moves? Sure. I think something else is interesting is, like, what effect that person had on the game of basketball. And it's interesting because Daryl Morey is sometimes referred to as or compared to as, like, the Billy Bean of the NBA. Just in terms of, like, his revolutionizing almost the process in which people think and and how he creates a team. Michael Lewis wrote a book after doing Moneyball. He wrote The Undoing Project about Daryl Morey. And the, I guess I guess the question is like, did he leave enough of an impact for me to say that he's the better GM? Because of course there's there's the James Harden trade, and of course Sam Presti has created a team in Oklahoma City for which far exceeded expectations. Um, there there are 41 team before this coronavirus happened. I, I think there's there's a lot to be said there. Did Daryl Morey do enough in Houston to like equate himself to be the better GM? Did he leave enough of an impact? I'm torn. I'm torn. I don't know. Jared, do you, do you want to chime in here?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm going to ask both of you a question. And I think, like you said, Bobby, this is a, it's a really tough argument, and it's cool because they've, like these guys have talked about, they've made multiple trades with each other that have been notable. So it's kind of cool that, that you can look at it from both sides. I'll ask you this, Mikey. Sam Presti's been to a finals. Neither of these guys has won the finals, but Sam Presti's been there. Daryl Morey has not. So why should we not just look at that and say, look, Morey is just, he's never... Neither of them have won, but Maury's never even been in the position to win, whereas Sam Presti at least once had that chance. So you're right, Presti made an awful deal, but why isn't it as simple as just saying they're both relevant every year, but Presti's been to the finals once, Maury never, so Presti's a better GM.
2: Jared, that's a very
1: fair point, and I have a great counter. I would say exactly in that moment,
2: James Harden was the sixth man on that finals team, and he did not play well in the finals, if you recall. He really busted. His field goal percentage was awful. And then four to five months later in the preseason, they trade James Harden to none other than Daryl Morey. That's all I have to say. Patience is a virtue. And I think that the fact of the matter is with the team constructed that Sam Cresti built, he would have won multiple NBA championships and he pulled the plug too early on that window. And that was it. The opportunity was there and he literally closed
3: the door on himself. That's where I'm going to disagree with you there, Mackie, because he didn't close the door on himself. He clearly had a decision to be made because they were not going to be able to pay everyone. And yes, did he make the wrong decision? Sergi Baca? 100%. But Sergi Baca in his prime was one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Who had a good jump shot. Was extremely important for that Thunder team. So it wasn't that he just pulled the plug too early. It was that he made the wrong decision because he had to make a decision. It wasn't the fact... Correct.
2: So we don't even need to discuss Sergi Baca. It was totally understood that the third player, they only had room for a, a max contract for the third player. They chose Ibaca. <laughs> over they, Harden, and that
3: was the biggest mistake they, Correct. the championship They window. chose they, a big because they thought there was going to be more valuable than James Harden was going to be valuable for them. Obviously, they, didn't, Conventional they did not outcome. see Darryl James Hardy, Harden 20, 20, becoming
1: the MVP that he was. Century. Okay, Evan, now let me ask you a question. You keep saying Oklahoma City is this small market team that's relevant every year, and that's partially true. Oklahoma City itself, yes, is a small market, and yes, the Thunder pretty much every year are in it. But it's not, like, really fair to call them a small market team when up until this year, consistently they were paying one of the highest luxury tax bills in the league. Like, they were going for it every year. So, I, know, I mean, I'm not going to make you rehash the whole argument. I just wonder how, A, we can quantify making what is universally regarded as one of the worst trades in NBA history, right? And, and B, and you guys were just alluding to it, not having the foresight to see that paying Ibaka over Harden would be such a monumental mistake. It's not like he didn't get a look at James Harden and not see like that he could have become such a great player. He was in the building every day for whatever it was, three, four years. So not only did he make the bad trade, but he didn't have the foresight to know, I should pay this guy over Ibaka, who, yes, you're right, good player, was an important part of those teams, but obviously not anywhere close to the level of player that Harden became, not like years later, the next season. So in response to you them not being a small market
3: team because they're, they consistently – spend over the luxury tax the only reason that they're spending over the luxury tax is because sam presti is putting them in a position that if they go over that luxury tax they're going to compete they're not just spending money to spend money they're not the knicks they're spending money because they have a chance to compete. and yeah i just took a dig at the knicks for free that is why they're doing that and they do that because of shrewd moves by sam presti Um, and just to go back i didn't get a chance to elaborate on this very quickly the reason that they had all these picks that they got now is I'm going to pull what a little bit of what did last week with the Mike Hampton, Bobby Bonilla situation. When Sam Presti took the job in 2007, he had Richard Lewis leaving a free agency. He, and this goes back on Bobby, what you're saying, how did Sam Presti change the game? Sam Presti went to Richard Lewis and he's the first person to do this. He said, Richard, you're going to leave, but I will give you, I can give you the money. You'll get, you sign here, you'll get more money and I'll trade you to where you want to go. He used the first sign and trade with the mid-level exception. He then traded Rashard Lewis. He got a mid-level exception back. He used that mid-level exception to trade for Kurt Thomas, who stunk, because he made $9.5 million, I believe, and he got two first-round picks with that. With those first-round picks, he used one of them on Sergi Baca. With Sergi Baca, he then tra- then used him, traded him for Victor Oladipo and Sabonis, who he then used to trade for Paul George, who he then re-signed, got Paul George to re-sign in a small market, who then he traded for, I don't know, four first-round picks, and a stud in Shea Gilders Alexander. So, did Sam Presti change the game? Yes, he did change the game. He revolutionized the signing and trade, the mid level, the mid level exception. And,
2: and I'm so glad Billy Donovan
3: gets to lead the charge. <laughs> <laughs> and to your second point, Jared, yeah, a thousand percent. The James Harden move was awful. There's no denying it. But Sam Presti's mistake was saying that we have Russell Westbrook, we have Kevin Durant, we have this all the scoring that we need. James Harden. He's a very good player. Was he, did he win six-man of the year that year? I don't know. He was in consideration. He was an extremely good scorer, but the Thunder didn't need that. The Thunder needed rim protection, and they needed a big man. So with that combination, yeah, it was a terrible mistake, but I don't think, it was, I don't think he thought James Harden was going to stay where he was. I think he knew James Harden was going to continue to get better. It was just in the Thunder situation, they didn't need it as much as they needed the rim protection.
0: All right. Jared, we have heard – a long argument about this and I think correct me if I'm wrong but I think we have enough information to make a decision yet the question is are you and I going to agree on this so I'm going to start I think like the question is yes the James Harden trade was horrible has has he done enough to overcome such an egregious error and has Daryl Morey done enough to show that he's better than Sam Presti and here's my thing Oklahoma City, like I was saying before, like they lost a lot of pieces. In fact, all the pieces that were supposed to make them great and have rebuilt completely to a point where they're now significantly competitive and, sure, could totally make a run this year. And so it's like, okay, Daryl Morey changed the game, at least like in the eyes of NBA analytics. Sure, going over of more like uh, subjective assessments over objective assessments. Sure. I think, all in all, at the end of the day, in my opinion, I think the better GM
1: here is Sam Presti. Tough one for Mikey. That's tough. I mean... That's very tough. It's unfortunate. You forgot about... Mikey, Jones it's unfortunate. It's
3: unfortunate for you that uh, Benyelman
1: Siegel is not the judge
3: here because that was your only really...
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. I hope he's listening to that. This could go really, like... I mean, I'm not going to totally cop out here. You really could go with either one of these answers is, is fair. I really think it kind of depends on the day because both these guys, wherever you're, whichever one you think is better than the other, they're both in the conversation of the best general managers in, in the NBA. And I think I have to agree with you, Bobby. And Mikey, here's my thing with Presti. He did make, you could call it the worst trade in NBA history. Like it's a, it's a fair thing to say, the guy made the worst trade in NBA history by trading White Harden. But the fact that they've actually been relevant since then is what's crazy because what you would have expected, if making such terrible trade and losing Kevin Durant, and I, I recognize he still had Westbrook there, is they would totally fall off the face of the map and be like one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. And yeah, that one year that Westbrook won the one trip MVP and had a triple-double, they weren't like a championship contender. But I don't think like after Durant left, I don't think anyone thought they'd even be like a, a playoff contender, not having having now lost Durant and Harden for basically nothing. So I feel like it's fair to say that Pressy has overcome making that just disaster of a decision by the fact that they're still good every year. And even now, after having traded Paul George, again, they were in that same position where we thought like, okay, they're now going to be one of the worst teams in the Western conference. And like, they have all these draft picks. Great. They'll be back in a few years. And like, no, they're still, again, not a championship contender this year. But I don't know what they are now. What, like the 60? Like they're actually like making noise. They have the same exact record as the Rockets. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, again, both the, and I, maybe I'm going to get flack because I, I really wanted to go against Evan. I really wanted to say it was wrong. <laughs> and I don't think it's an unfair argument to say that Mori is the better Jam. And I, I can't wait to get the pushback from the Pollocks, both Tani and Yoni telling me how much of an idiot I am. But I think I have to go Presti.
2: I appreciate you guys,
1: and I think we have uh, bias towards this year. And I really hope that
2: all the draft picks fail, and the Thunder fail. And uh, I just want to say one more thing: we'll discuss call Aldridge for a different time. <laughs> but I, wait, well, I appreciate tell me the last thunder. Rockets
1: good pick. Daryl Morey trades drafting every single year. See, he see Bobby, this is, year. this is what this is what I've lived through. And by the way, we're going to hang up on this, and this is going to continue, like with us this not is amazing. <laughs> He trades his traffic every year. He's had one
2: good traffic in Clay Thank you. I want to just say thank you guys very much for hosting us. Thank you both for being
0: on. We 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 really, really appreciate it. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are once again back with the quizmaster Jeremy Tuck for another trivia segment where I once again will hopefully not make myself look like an absolute fool, and where Jared will make himself look like the epitome of greatness and the sports
1: trivia god. Jared, you ready? Yeah, I mean, the question is, Bobby, do I let you win on your birthday or do I go harder than ever?
0: Well, this is a lose-lose for me, right? Because, like, if I do well, then it's like, oh, Jared let him win on his birthday. And if I don't do well, it's like, wow, Bobby lost even when Jared was trying to let him You're win. Right. Like, this is- I, just to- I just totally undercut you. It's great. You've completely ruined this entire segment, but that's okay. We're going to do it anyway. Uh, all right, Quizmaster Jeremy Tuck, how you doing?
4: Uh, I'm doing great. Happy birthday, dude. Okay, Thanks, so buddy. for you. I got a quiz for you. Last week, I was kind of hard on you, and I apologize for that. But this week, we're going to find out how well you guys know your favorite baseball teams. More specifically, the uniform numbers the players wore. So we're going to go from one one to as far as you can get. You'll just name me one player who wore that number. We're going to start from one for, for your favorite team. So Jared, it's the Mets. Bobby, it's the Orioles. You guys got that?
1: I think so. I think so. I,
0: I am, I'm hopeful.
4: Bobby, since it's your birthday, we're going to have you go first and name me a Baltimore Oriole who wore number one. Uh, I'm going to go with Brian Roberts. Yeah, there you go. That's a big one. Uh, Jared, I met who wore number one. I believe Mookie Wilson wore number one. Oh, he did back in uh, 19, the 80s, the entire 80s. All right. Number two.
0: Number two. Who wore number two? That's a great question. Um, Derek Jeter cough. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. Don't get me started on Derek Jeter. I received too much flack for that one last week. Um, Anyway. Number
4: two. I'm going to go with J.J. Hardy. J.J. Hardy. Yeah. He's in there. Number two for Jared. Okay.
1: Damn. This is tough. Number two. I think that Justin Turner wore number two as a Met.
4: Justin Turner were number two as a Met. Wow. Nice form. By, yeah. by the way, just to point out, we're skipping zero, double zero, and in the Orioles' case, one eighth. It did happen, trust me. Um, number three for the Orioles. Number three. Um, mm, I'm going to take a shot in the dark here. I'm not sure. Is it Nate McLough? No. Nope. Nate McClouth not on there. Mm. No. Uh, you could have gone. The most recent one was Cedric Mullins. You got Ryan Flaherty, Cesar Asturis, um, Harold Baines for a few years, and Billy Ripken. Okay. So mm-hmm. okay. name dropping there. Uh, Jared, you got that strike one to Bobby. Jared, mm-hmm. number three for the Mets.
1: Number three. Can I think of a Mets were number three? I, I, I'm going to be doing the same as Bobby and just throwing out a guess here because I can't. I sure. can't. Envision a three in my head. I'm like 99% sure this guy didn't wear
4: number three, but I'll just I'll just throw it out there. Rusty Staub. Uh, Rusty Staub. Uh, looking and I don't see it. So that's a strike for Jared. Uh, the most recent one that everyone would know is Curtis Granderson. Mmm. That 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 was gettable. Uh, a lot of the other guys surprisingly aren't. Um, uh, Bobby, number four.
0: Number four. Um. Who wore number four?
4: Um. Oh boy. Uh, let's try Javi Lopez. All right, uh, Bobby. You're gonna hate me for saying this. Number four is retired for Earl Weaver.
0: Oh my God. Oh, and man. we're counting managers. Okay. Okay. Uh,
4: you know what? I'll give you a pass. It's your birthday. Free strike. Oh, that free was strike. a tough one. Okay. That was a tough one. No player has worn it since 1967 guy named Mike Epstein may or not may not be Jewish I don't know super Jew yeah <laughs> Jared number four for the Mets I
1: believe nails Lenny Dykstra wore number four.
4: Oh man yes he did Nice. <laughs> other boy. ones you could have gone with Robin Ventura um, or Wilmer Flores more recently mm, Wilmer all right number five
0: number five uh, yeah I think the most obvious one is Brooks Robinson
4: it's retired for that. He wore it for 20 years. There you go. And Jared, I believe you also have a slam dunk at number five.
1: Yes, number five, also a great third baseman, Mr. David Allen Wright.
4: All right. Bad back to Jared. And uh, let's go number six for Bobby. Number six, I
0: think, yep. arguably a better third baseman than David Wright, Melvin I know Mora.
4: You're I knew you were going to say Melvin Mora. Uh, yeah, that's correct.
0: That's um, blasphemy. More,
4: re- more recently, uh, Jonathan Scope. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay, this right. could be really cool. This could actually be amazing. I hope Sixth this is true the because the Mets traded Melvin Moore to the Orioles. And so I'm going to hope that he wore number six as a Met because that will be great.
4: Melvin Moore was back in the 2000. Oh, boy. Wow. Wow. You're right. Okay, great job. Amazing. Uh, so the add- answer for both number sixes. Great stuff. Wow. Number seven. For the Orioles,
0: number seven. There's like two guys that come to mind, and I and I and I don't know if they're right on either of them. The two that are coming to mind are like Chris Singleton and Luis Matos, and I I'm not sure either one of them even wore said. So I don't think it was. I'm I'm whatever. Let's give it a shot. I'm gonna go with Chris Singleton.
4: Um. Okay. So, Baseball Reference doesn't have him on there. They don't. They only have Billy Ripken one year. Before that, Mark Belanger and. That's, I think, all for the Orioles era. So okay, okay, it's gonna have to be a strike. I take uh, you'll it. get I free, that. you'll get a free one next one anyway. Jared, number seven, easy money at lame laza seven. Jose Reyes. I it's hope really you cool. were gonna say Marcus Stroman. Um, mm. Yeah, Jose Reyes is correct. Bobby, who wore number eight for the Orioles? Number eight, the Iron Man, the
0: greatest of all time, two thousand six hundred thirty-two consecutive games, twenty WAR above Derek Jeter. Mr. Cal Ripken Jr.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Uh, And Jared, you got a good option for this also, I think. Number eight.
1: Number eight. Now you've put pressure on me talking. I don't appreciate it. I was going to go with Gary Carter.
4: You're correct. You could have also gone with Yogi Berra. (laughs) Mm. Number nine for the Orioles. Number nine. Oh, man.
0: Uh, I was hoping to get to ten.
4: That's what, that was, that was, I was hoping
0: to get to 10. Number nine. Um, let's see. I am not sure, so I'm going to throw a name out there. Number nine,
4: Jerry Hurston Jr.? Uh, no, sorry. Mm.
0: That's okay. That's
4: all right. Uh, Keon Broxton last year. You had Nate McClouth, who you guessed earlier. Uh, longest tenured I see is Brady Anderson.
0: <laughs> oh, Brady! Man, Brady,
4: I should have had. <laughs> All right. So I think, uh, Jared, if you get nine, you take the dub. It's a lot of pressure. You got nine? I,
1: I, I don't have one 100%. I, I'm i like 50% on this. Kirk Neuenheis? Yep. Captain
0: nice. Kirk.
4: Nice work.
0: I'm just going to say number 10, Adam Jones. Adam Jones needs to be mentioned on this
4: podcast at some point. And Adam <laughs> Jones is getting a mention right now. <laughs> Adam Jones deserves a mention. Jared, do you have a rebuttal of 10?
1: Ray Ordonez.
4: Very good. Very good.
1: <laughs> Very right. nicely done. I'm sorry, <laughs> guy. I'm sorry. But you know what? I, I, I'm teaching you a, a birthday lesson here. One week, you're going to win, and you're going to have earned it.
0: It's going to be the best <laughs> moment of my life. <laughs> Love it. I appreciate it. I feel like I did better this week than any week before. And, of course, thank you. Thank you for the quiz.
4: A lot of fun, Todd. Oh, good stuff. My pleasure. My pleasure, guys. Happy birthday, Bobby, and we'll speak to you guys soon. Looking forward That's to good. it. Thanks a lot, man.
1: Okay, Bobby. Are you ready for another edition of America's Favorite Game Show, Would You Rather? Absolutely, dude. I play this with you, whether or not we're on the podcast. So I'm always down for this. <laughs> so, birthday boy, you've got a million dollars on the line in this hypothetical. If you can accomplish one of these feats, you will win one million dollars to invest in this podcast or spend as you choose. But I know it would be investing in this podcast. If I get that money, does that mean I have to split it with you, or is this just, like just my money? It's all
0: yours, baby. This is great. This is okay. This is great.
1: Option A, you need to score just one point in a game of 21 against arguably the greatest basketball player in the history of the world, LeBron James. It's a daunting task. Okay. But it's only one point. Or option two, you step into the batter's box against. The flamethrower known as Araldus Chapman clocked as throwing the fastest pitch in the history of Major League Baseball, I think like one oh five point one. And you need to make contact and hit a ball in fair territory past second base can be on the air, in the ground, whatever. And he throws hard. So if you make contact, good chance if you get it in fair territory, you can get it past second base in the air on the ground. Mm-hmm. You have twenty pitches to do it. Mm, okay. Million dollars on the line, which one of these would you rather put your stock into? So this is great. This is great. Okay. So
0: I spent all of my childhood pretty much playing one sport. I played baseball. And so, you know, just skill set wise, I'm like, okay, like probably my skills are best suited for that. Even if I train for both sports equally for X amount of time to prepare for it, like I still think best shot is probably baseball. However, here's here's a couple things to consider. Number one. I've been to batting cages many, many times. I don't know, Jared, have, have you been to a batting
1: cage where they throw like 80 miles an hour? Have you been there? Yeah, I'm amazed. When I see people like in the 70 mile an hour cage and I just like, I can't even track it. I'm amazed to think like, you know, 25, 30 miles an hour more guy, major leaguers are hitting this, not knowing that it's coming. Exactly. So like, here's the honest truth.
0: I, if I had dedicated my entire life and trade all the time to play baseball i could have gotten as high as like a bench player on a d3 college school okay i went in there and i've hit i've tried to hit 80 miles an hour in a in a batting cage before and it is so hard to time it and you know what's coming and where it's coming it is it is so hard now maybe that's just a factor of me not playing against 80 mile per hour pitching that often but to think that I can't do it there and then a roll Chaplin is going to come in and throw 105 and maybe he'll throw a slider in there and I'll be, like, so far out on my – like, how am I ever supposed to do that? Contrarily, I've played plenty of pickup basketball games in my life. Could I score against LeBron James? So here, here's what would have to happen. I would have to sprint away from LeBron James, do a hook shot from half court and hope that it sinks right because like if we assume that lebron james plays to his full capacity he's what what is he six nine is that right something like that he's six nine i am five nine on a great day so you can run through his legs maybe bobby i mean potentially sure but like sure if we say that he misses a couple shots and he's not perfect and let's even say we're playing loser's ball where i get it every time he scores my only shot, because he'll block every shot I make, because he'll just play defense. He's faster than me, he's stronger than me. I have no shot. My only chance is to create any kind of separation and do some crazy hook shot to put it in. So it's like, okay, which one of those is more likely? I'm going to take 20 pitches against the role Chapman, and hopefully I time my swing
1: enough to hit a weak ground ball that just edges past second base. It's a very tough call, because you're right. Like, LeBron playing defense on you you pretty much have no chance now it, like if we assume if we just went to LeBron with this and we're like hey we're gonna donate two million dollars to your favorite charity if you just do this with our guy Bobby Rubin and he signs up to do it in real life like like I've always heard the story with he got game you know the, the famous movie with Denzel Washington mm-hmm. Ray Allen, that they play one-on-one in the game and Denzel actually scores the first four points in the game to the point that like Ray Allen, like, didn't realize, like, what was going to happen. Like, he just wasn't expecting that. And so, like, Denzel caught him off guard and actually scored four points. Now, Denzel was probably way better at basketball at that time than you are. But is there a chance that, like, LeBron checks it into you on the first possession of the game? He's not, like, right up in your face yet. And you, like, quit. You pull up right away and, like, you hit a, you know, like a three. I, I think that's possible. Now, you don't it, – it if you went in, obviously, you would never score again the rest of the game. You'd be like, I know this guy's not – that's not happening again. This guy's not scoring for the rest of the game. So you probably only have like one to two shots at it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's my best case scenario. I'm assuming that LeBron
0: is like playing tight D the entire time. And also, even if he gives me a little bit of space, I'm short enough and his, lo- his arms are long enough that he'll just swat it right out of the air. You know, Any shot I have, he would, he would have to not be paying attention. And my assumption is, is that both Aroldis Chapman and LeBron James are both at their A games the entire time because it
1: would not be hard to put me away in either situation. Yeah, I mean, switching over to the Chapman thing, you're right, like, you probably you probably have a better, I guess you have a better chance, if you know he's throwing fastball every time, you just, you're just you just going to swing, like, as early as possible and hope you make contact, and like we said earlier, if you do, good chance that, like, if you keep it fair, you'll you'll get the distance out of it, because he's supplying all the power. But, if you're just timed up to hit Andre, well, actually, you know what, maybe it doesn't matter for you, actually, because for a major league hitter, To be timed up to hit 105 and, like, a 90-mile-an-hour slider comes in, that makes a big difference. But it actually might not for you, right? Because, like, the skill level is so much lower than a major leaguer that, like, I guess it really wouldn't throw off your timing because how much earlier could you really start your swing to hit, like, for you, 90 or 102? I mean, literally, here is
0: exactly what it would be. Is I would time my swing. I would start swinging before he even got in his windup, and that's not a joke. If he's out of the stretch, I would start it before and hope that the bat is in the right position. I, w- I wouldn't even have time to guess. You have four tenths of a second anyway if you're a major leaguer. Why? Like, how do you even do that? So, yeah, like I'll, I'll hopefully guess it because at least I would have my own ability there versus like my own ability to hit a shot against LeBron James. Like that means nothing because he'll just swat it out of the air. I wouldn't even have a chance to go in, it wouldn't get there.
1: There you have it, folks. For all this Chapman, if you're listening, I know you just tested positive for coronavirus. Get well soon. And when you do, Bobby Rubin would like to challenge you for $1 million. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it.
0: Well, that's all the time we have this week for episode 11 of chatter up 11 of of course, 100,000. Thank you guys so much for tuning in next week. We have another great show for you. We have another, what did I miss a whole bunch of fun and games Maybe sports will be back. Who knows? sports ever come back? Maybe we'll just be doing this for the rest of our lives and, and predicting whether or not sports will be coming back. But I promise you it'll be entertaining and you'll have some great dudes talking sports with you. What a show
1: it was, Bobby. We told them last week episode 11 would be the best Chatter Up episode ever. And I think we delivered. We absolutely delivered. This was the best one yet. <laughs> well... Like we said at the beginning of the episode, if you haven't already given us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we please ask that you do that. You can find us on Twitter at chatter underscore up, where we've got a bunch of good stuff going on. You can find us on Instagram, same handle at chatter underscore up, where I know Bobby posts a lot of fun stuff that's worth looking at. Give us a follow. And finally, if you have any feedback for us at all, like we say every week, good, bad, indifferent, whatever, send it to us. Send us an email at chatteruppodcast at gmail.com. And most importantly, everyone who's listening, I demand that all of you send a happy birthday message when you get this podcast in your feed to the one, the only Bobby Rubin. Thank
0: you, Jared. I appreciate it. Uh, another year older, another year older. <laughs> thank you all i appreciate it we appreciate it and we'll see you all next week with the next chatter up